0: Powered through the Alaska Airlines studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Sports, streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go
1: now. The Mariners have made a ton of moves this offseason, but are you happy with them? We've got some mixed replies from listeners. Let's find out what Mariners broadcaster Gary Hill thinks. He joins us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline right now. Gary, how's it going?
0: I'm good. How are you? We're fantastic.
1: I know it's, it's nice to have things pick back up spring training, starting up here soon. And the Mariners have a more complete team than I expected. Given some of those reported limitations with spending, what do you make of the roster right now?
0: Yeah, it's funny to think about it. it's kind of a wild ride this off season, right? And this right. is uh feels like a very, a very different conversation than we would have had two months ago. Uh, I am really impressed with what Justin and Jerry and, Jesse and Joel and the whole group over there have been able to do, I, I think back to the end of the season, right? They were a game, you know, missed playoffs by a game so close and sure. Could you run it back and hopefully things work out and maybe you can get into the post season. Yeah. But I felt like after last season, they had to find a way to get better. And at the beginning of the off season, given what you just mentioned, like I was wondering how they were able to do that. Uh, but I give them credit because they took some chances. I thought they were pretty bold in what they did. And I think right now they're better right now than they were at the end of last season. So, uh, and it feels like to me, the Polanco and Santos moves that just came really put it over the top for me. I do think they're better right now than they were last year.
2: Yeah, Gary, I, I agree with you, man. Is it, um, is it as simple as Julio and Polanco need to play like all stars for uh, for this lineup to produce the way that we want to, or or do you think there's a there needs to be a a third guy in the mix? Obviously, you want everyone to be themselves and progress or whatnot. But if you had to nail down two guys, you say All right, if these guys Ooh. have stellar seasons, then uh, the Mariners should be okay offensively.
0: Yeah, you know, I think I think it's more of a group concept with this Mariners lineup coming in. Like, I think well. Julio, as Mitch Garver called him to us, a future MVP, I think if he got off to a, a better start in April, I mean, what is his en- entire season going to look like? I mean, it was top five MVP season last year. Like, he's a guy that can carry you, obviously. But when I look at this lineup, I think it is better one through nine than it was. Now, health is going to be a big question. But can you get 120 games from Garver and Haniger and – Can you get a little bounce back from Ty France? And can Polanco be that 20, 25 home run guy in the middle of your lineup? Like there's all these questions kind of swirling around, but if you put it all together, it can be a really good lineup. And for me, they don't have to be a top five lineup, right? Because I look at this team coming in. I was thinking about this today. I think you can make the case that they have the best trio of starting pitchers in baseball and the best trio of relievers in baseball, and that's a pretty great starting point going into a season. And you look at Zips projections on Fangraphs, and they would tell you the same thing: like all three of those Mariner relievers, Rash, Munoz, and El Santos, are in the top eleven in their projections, and all their starters, all three of them, are in the top seventeen. Castillo, Kirby, and, and Gilbert are in the top seventeen in projections. So when you're starting with that kind of staff, your offense doesn't have to be legendary. It just has to be more consistent, I think.
1: Added to the offense was Mitch Haniger in a second stint now with Seattle. What are your expectations for this go-around for Mitch?
0: Yeah, so I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be different this time around because they're able to swing him through the DH quite a bit. Uh, that's not going to be the case because Garver, I think, is going to get most of the DH plate appearances. So I think they will be careful with Mitch. Like he'll be playing more outfield than he did last time around. But I'm pretty optimistic on what they can give him when he's healthy because he's continued to hit when he's been healthy. And they kind of know what to expect. I think they have a natural platoon bat in the outfield as well that they can give him days off and give him the rest and, you know, days after night game, that sort of thing. So I I'm optimistic that they know what to do to keep him on the field as much as possible. I think he'll produce when he's on the field. And it's one of my questions in general, when I look at this offense, like it's a very different offense than it was last year. Last year was much more boom or bust. And I've talked about it all the time. Like you can live, With the strikeouts, if you get the production at the end of the day, they just didn't get enough production. Now, I look at this offense and I wonder, are they going to have enough power? To me, that's the question. I think Mitch is part of that answer. If they can keep him healthy for a lot of the season, he can provide some pop. You know, how much pop can Polanco provide? What kind of years is Julio going to have? Like, there is pop there. You just hope it's enough.
2: Gary, um, I'm one of the ones who, who think that uh that I'm not content but I'm I'm all right with what the Mariners have done this off season because I understand where the puddle is the budget that he had and as you dig into the moves it all makes sense to me right um but mm-hmm. they did all of this and they were able to keep Wu and Miller how essential was that and and what do you expect out of these two coming up
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about that. In fact, that's one of the things in the context of what they were able to do I'm most impressed with because they've got some they were able to land some really good pieces, I think, without giving up Wu and Miller. And Wu and Miller, those are the guys that are going to come up in every conversation when you're talking about other teams because young starting pitching, young good starting pitching, is the most difficult thing to come by. I'm really optimistic for both Wu and Miller. And It's funny. We had uh, Miller on the Hot Stove Show last night, plug. Uh, and he his description of last year – this off season and coming to this year, I thought it was really great because, you know, Aaron and I on the broadcast talked about this a lot with both the thing that Miller and Wu had in common is the splits were heavy on both sides. Like lefties really got to both of them. And it's pretty amazing to see the years they had in total, really good years, really good numbers, despite that. And so Miller has spent a lot of this off season working on how to combat that. And for him, it's a splitter and kind of, changing some arm angle a little bit. So he's tunneling a little bit better. It's all these adjustments that is really hard to do in season, but he's doing it specifically to combat the lefty issue. And I'm pretty excited. And We saw a similar thing with Logan Gilbert. He spent two off seasons, basically retooling everything to get him to this point. And I think Miller and Wu are doing the same sort of thing. So I am really optimistic on what, what both guys can be and, You know, I already mentioned, I think the Mariners have the best trio of starters in baseball. If Miller and Wu can both take another step this year, you could be talking about the best rotation of baseball. Like that is not a wildly crazy thing to say at this point. Last year, it felt
1: like there was all the pressure in the world on Julio. And we had some questions about the offense. Do you think the team added enough to compliment him this time around?
0: We'll see. I think Mitch Garver is going to really help in the middle of the order. Uh, a veteran bat who is really the kind of hitter they like, the kind of hitter they talk about, I think he'll help. I think Polanco was a huge addition in that respect because I think he's going to be a middle-of-the-order guy. I mean, we'll see how it pans out. I do feel like that the lineup is longer than it's been, and that is obviously going to be huge help because I felt like Watching the season play out, especially early in the year, I think it felt like to me that Julio was feeling pressure uh, at times, especially when the offense was scuffling. And there were times, now we saw we saw it boom and bust. Like in August, they were amazing, right? It, it was all working, and they had other parts of the season where just it wasn't at all. So I think a more consistent offense, a deeper offense. We'll take some pressure off him. We'll see how it plays out, but that's kind of how I'm thinking about it going in. What's the uh,
2: the current state of the uh, you know the farm system with the prospects? You gave up a couple uh, to make some moves. Where does it stand right now, and uh, how, how do you feel about it going forward?
0: You know, it's funny how much the farm has flipped. You know, it was all this great young pitching that came up, and you know we've we've seen it come to the big leagues now with Kirby and Gilbert, and go down the list. So at the top now are young hitters and some really highly respected hitters like Harry Ford and Cole Emerson and Cole Young, some, you know, they're still, they still need some time to get through, but it's funny. You look at the top tens and top twenties, it's just about all hitting. So they might have to get back to drafting, pitching a little bit more the next couple of years and and flip it back to some pitchers. But I think there's a lot of good hitters coming. I, I don't think we'll see them impact things this year, at least the Fords and the Youngs and the Emersons, those kind of guys. But in two years, maybe. I mean, the farm system is still in pretty good shape, especially considering all of the guys they've graduated, Julio and the rest of them. So the question to me is how many guys, just specifically looking at this year, how many guys can help this year? Maybe Tyler Locklear can come up And help later in the season, a first baseman slugging type who had a pretty good year last year in the minor leagues. That's a guy that I would kind of pay attention to. They always seem to have a reliever or two that could come out of nowhere and help this year. But uh, that's going to be something really interesting to me is is how much help in the near future can the farm provide. Because I think the health in the long term is in pretty good shape.
1: Fangraphs earlier this morning posted their playoff odds for the 2024 season, obviously based on projections only. Uh, It's for each player, and then they create an expected team scoring and run prevention number. The Mariners, the second-best odds to win the AL West, ahead of the Rangers, who actually won the World Series. Uh, (laughs) Does this check out for you, kind of their faith in the Mariners? They give them a 64% chance to make the playoffs.
0: You know, it does, and you know I feel so weird saying this, but but we look at, the rangers as the world series winners right because you know they won the world series uh the funny thing is though i think when you get into the playoffs anything can happen i think you just got to get in that's the thing but we look at the world at the rangers as the world series champions not the kind of flawed team that barely squeezed their way into the postseason at the end of the year last year. And I think they still have some of those same issues. Now, all credit to them, because they found a way to get into the playoffs and win it all. But, like, I don't think their pitching is particularly strong. Uh, They might have some help coming halfway through the season with DeGrom and Scherzer, but I don't know if there's guarantees there either. So I think the Rangers, especially on the pitching side, we know about the bullpen. I think the rotation, too. I think they have some real serious issues. Now they overcame them last year, can they overcome them again? That's the question cuz they're a team that uh hasn't done very much in the off season. Now the returning, they're returning the champions, so they have a really good team, but they didn't make many adjustments especially on the pitching side. So uh, that does check out to me and it does check out that the Astros would be the favorites coming back. Cause I, I think that is the case. I think, I think the Astros are the favorites until they're not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Gary, I'm, um, um, I'm constantly reminded by uh, the text lines that the Mariners only missed the playoffs by one or two games, right? So on paper, they mm. weren't too far off. Um, with the additions that um, were made here with the Mariners and you, you talk about the Rangers, Altuve signs signs a five-year deal. Um, do you think this is a playoff team this year?
0: Yeah, I think they can be. I mean, it, it's it's always hard to say, are they a playoff team? Aren't they a playoff team? Because so much goes into it, especially in baseball, because there is overachieving, there's underachieving, there's health, which I think this with this particular Mariners team, I think health is going to be something that – we'll be talking about and watching all season long. And by health I mean like I'm not expecting Garver and Hanniger and Polanco to play 150 games. And I don't think they need that for they can for them to get in the playoffs. But can they get 120? Can they get 130? Can they can they avoid all of them being down at the same time? You know, that sort of thing when I talk about health. So I think health is something to watch, but I I do think they are a playoff team. I, I also think I think the Astros are gettable too at this point. I I think the Astros are super fascinating and maybe now's not the right time for this kind of longer conversation, but I I feel like the Houston Astros have kind of, uh, they've pivoted from what they've done best from what, you know, they've been a dominant baseball team for over a decade and they have kind of shunned some of the things that have gotten there, gotten them there the last couple of years. Now, It hasn't necessarily shown up on the field yet, but I'm really curious to see what happens the next couple of years after their change of philosophy to see if they can maintain what has been uh, a stranglehold in this division.
1: What are some of those changes that you think they've made?
0: So the group that built them initially was a couple of GMs ago. And a lot of that group is now in Baltimore. (laughs) So, It's not, a, Doing great things. it's not a big mystery. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not a mystery as to why Baltimore, like, all of a sudden, hey, look at this, We're you know, they've gotten a lot, a lot of high draft picks, too, because they went a full rebuild, so that certainly helps, but it's not a mystery why Baltimore is rising as one of the great young teams, because a lot of those guys in the background were building the Houston Astros at the time, and so, like, when you see last year, the Astros signing Jose Abreu, that's not something that a, an older Astros regime ever would have done mm. Uh hater this offseason. season. Now, is a great reliever, right? right? But they, they would not have spent those resources on a reliever in years past. In fact, they have let, you know, they let Springer walk and they let Correa walk. And the thing that they've always been able to do is replace them internally. And it's, you know, guys like Tucker, you know, Peña had a great year at shortstop. You know, they have uh, Alvarez is probably the best example of that. They've just, Done such a marvelous job of producing their own talent, especially on the pitching side. Their arms for the years have been utterly ridiculous, and it's been seemingly an endless stream. Now, uh, last year you, they weren't as deep in the rotation, and for the first time, it's like they didn't have the guys to go to that they seemingly always had. Now, because a lot of the people that made that happen in the past are not there. Anymore. Now they have a capable GM, certainly, but it, they're just doing things a little bit differently. So it just makes me wonder: is this? Are they going to be able to maintain the next right. couple of years? And so maybe they will, but maybe they won't. So we'll see. We'll see how it plays out.
1: Very interesting. He is Mariners broadcaster Gary Hill, kind enough to join us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Thanks so much, Gary. Thanks,
0: Gary. Yeah, anytime. Great to talk to you again. I'm sad Curtis isn't there because. This whole time, I've been inside Kent City Limits. And oh, I was excited no. to tell them that. I know. We'll let them know. know. We'll
1: let him know. Okay.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, thank Gary. You.
1: The 89th Sports Star of the Year awards are coming up February 15th. K.J. Wright is this year's host, and Seattle sports will be there as well to celebrate the biggest sports stories and athletes of 2023. You can find tickets and info at seattlesports.com slash events. A little bit of Mariners news. Welcome another another Smith and Jigba to the Pacific Northwest, say the Mariners. They just confirmed that they've claimed outfielder Kanan Smith and Jigba off of waivers from the Pirates, of course, brother of Jackson, who's with the Seahawks. Let's get to headline rewrites. Extra, extra rewrites!
0: headline rewrites we must make headlines the real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and stacy <laughs> The Astros have signed Jose Altuve to a five-year extension worth $125 million. What's the real headline? He'll be
1: able to quit his job at Keebler with that kind of cash. Now, we just had Gary join us talking about how the Houston Astros uh, changes in the front office may soon start to reflect on the field. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they haven't. Lately, they still made it to—they were in the ALCS, right, fighting—yeah, with the Rangers. Um, so you, you haven't seen it quite yet, but that was very interesting.
2: Yeah. Keep the changes rolling in it. <laughs> yeah. Gary seemed a bit hesitant to uh, to crown the Astros, uh, but you know how they do, man. They, they're they extremely competitive. They put the pieces in the right place. You got to get healthy, as Gary mentioned, when it comes to to health and production and whatnot. But uh, for the past, what, five, six, seven seasons, they've been favorites mm-hmm. uh, to start the season. Rightly so. When you lock up a guy like Jose Altuve for five years, 125, there's reason uh, to be optimistic about that team. But you know what? Just throw them hands, manners. Keep throwing hands.
1: I know. One of the things that I really hope that Seattle finds itself having soon. There are a couple stars, but it's spread across the uh, rotation and obviously your starting lineup. Like I would say George Kirby's a star. Obviously, you know, Julio's a mm-hmm. star. Luis Castillo is a star. Uh, I think you're going to have a great bullpen with plenty of guys to come from there. But I am sometimes envious of other teams where they've got like, you know, two, three hitters that'll go on to be in an all-star game. Right. Houston now one of those. And you look at it and you're like, you get to that part of the lineup where you go, oh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's never ending. It's just gonna keep happening. Like I can't wait and hope that one day the Mariners have that.
2: Well, I mean, you assume Julio is always gonna be the mix be an all-star. Of you had a uh, Polanco who had himself an all-star type season in 19, I want to say. Exactly. And um, I think Cal has potential. So look, the potential is there, but I get you. It's nice to go into a season saying we got three all-stars yeah. in this lineup who are gonna carry this thing. <laughs>
0: Headline rewrites. Tiger Woods has committed to next week's Genesis Invitational for his first competitive rounds in 2024. What's the real headline? Uh,
1: we know Tiger Woods hasn't been great at honoring commitments, though. Oh, wee. <laughs> Sorry, Backstum, Tiger it's real. It's real. It's facts. One of the greatest of all time, mm-hmm. right? But, however, it's facts. Oh, man,
2: my man was dating like 14 women at a time while oh, being man. married. I'll uh, never
1: forget the golf club swing. Hey,
2: what picked, a moment. She picked the right weapon. If, if, You're going to mess up like that? I'm going to use the tool that got you all this money and all these women to remind you that you're married. I love the idea.
1: I love that idea. It's like a a pop culture moment. Right, it is. Um, What do you think, though, about Tiger Woods uh, making uh, his first competitive rounds in 2024?
2: Uh, I love it, man. As long as Tiger Woods is competing, people are going to show up and they're going to tune in. Um, And, uh, you know, again, I don't expect Tiger to win anymore. Mm -hmm. I just want to um, sit there and take in every moment that I, I can to watch Tiger Woods play because he's the reason why I even started playing golf. I wasn't watching golf until I seen this young man with baggy sweaters and, and slacks smacking the rock down the fairway. Um, he's an icon, man, even with all the trouble that he's been through. Um, it seems like he's turned a corner, has a good relationship with his yeah. son. Yeah. I just want to watch him play.
1: It'll be the first full field event he's played in since the 2023 Masters. Goes without saying, it's his first event of 2024.
0: Headline rewrite. Fox, Warner Brothers, Discovery, and Disney will launch a streaming joint venture that will combine ESPN, Fox Sports, and Turner Sports into one app. What's the real headline?
1: Get this—they're calling it cable. <laughs> you won't believe it. No, they—they they are not uh, actually call calling it, it that. Yeah, yeah, You, you <laughs> aren't gonna—you are not gonna believe this. But we're combining all these channels into <laughs> one, and you'll pay for a package of channels. All
2: right. I'm just all right. I, I got Hulu. I got Fubo because I gotta watch the Mariners play what are we going to call this and how much is this going to cost me and yeah. which do I eliminate? And it's messed up because Hulu offers shows um that uh, I can't find anywhere else. So I got Hulu and then Fubo yeah. has Root Sports. And I yep. go, all right, I got to get that. Yep. So what are they going to offer to where they're going to have me paying for three streaming services, which will probably equal what I would pay for a cable box. I thought I was getting I don't that. know.
1: Here's the thing about cable. Uh, it always changes price. Like when mm-hmm. I had cable, I hated it because every month I'd have to call them. And we'd have to be like, why is it this much? Whereas with streaming services, they'll increase prices, like just you know, with inflation, just as they develop. But overall, it's the same. I love streaming. Like I don't care. I have uh, not had cable for years, and I prefer it. I know that that's not for everyone. I know for people that already have cable, it's really annoying to add streaming services on top of it. So when I hear Wyman and Bob complain about watching a Mariners game on Apple TV, and I think it's four dollars for the for the (laughs) entire uh, like package, like why are you uh, panicking? And then I'm like, oh. Well, if you don't already lean into that, it's annoying.
2: Yeah, it's um, I don't like where this is going, but it's it's necessary. And what they do is they know that there are people like me who are going to find things in all three or all four or five, whatever services and be like, Dan, I got to pay for this because I want to watch what I want to watch. Um, Yeah, so it is what it is. I don't like it, but there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just the, uh, the grumpy old man on a Wednesday saying keep things the same.
1: Yes, stop it what you're doing. It's going to be me eventually, probably pretty soon, probably in six months. We'll see what happens. I don't know. How is the world going to change? We'll find out. Like right now, again, I do like when I watch a Mariners game on Apple TV, I prefer um, the broadcasting crew we have locally mm-hmm. you know what i mean like yeah. i'll listen to the radio feed and then watch watch but i'm like the cameras are amazing like yeah. i never mind streaming it's e- it's just easier for me to watch
2: apple but, has created one of the best viewing experiences in my opinion when it comes to baseball like the angles and i agree i don't i don't know what type of cameras like that I'm they're there have. in
1: person with with 10 vision it's
2: locked in i go this is beautiful this is this is art right here
1: yeah but I know some people get upset. And while this is uh, only related to the NFL, Roger Goodell was asked that question at his press conference, Mm -hmm. um, which was invitation only. Someone still managed to grill him. him. Still pressed him. You got to. Exactly. And one of the things that they pressed him on was, hey, are you going to continue to have streaming exclusive playoff games? And like, how much is ever going to be too much where you're just taking dollars out of people's pockets? Obviously, he's going to answer in the most PR way, but the true answer is there is no limit. No. The limit does not exist. It does We know you're going to pay for it.
2: He's going to do, he has a goal. I forgot what the number was, but by 2025, I believe he wants the NFL's revenue to be like around 20-something billion dollars. So there are things you got to do to get there, Mm -hmm. and that is one of them.
1: (laughs) From Homer in Alaska, in similar news, tobacco companies are releasing an all-natural plant-based smoking (laughs) alternative to vapes called Cigarettes. (laughs) please don't smoke tobacco nicotine not great for you but that is exactly what this is It's exactly what this is they're going okay so it's streaming services but we combine all the channels together and we charge you more
2: as curtis would say (laughs) wake up sheeple
1: wake up wake (laughs) up all right you guys uh taking a look around the nfl coming up next and we are gonna start with uh, initially here's the thing this news broke during the show Initially, we were going to start NFL headlines, which is coming your way in just a few minutes by talking about whether or not you would trade for Justin Fields because Adam Schefter was on a Chicago-based ESPN affiliate and had some interesting things to say about what that trade might cost a team like Seattle. We are going to get to that. But since that news broke yesterday, there's been another Chicago news break. Jackson Smith and Jigba was asked uh, on Super Bowl Media Day earlier today about Shane Waldron. Interesting, interesting, interesting Response, don't go anywhere
0: Bumpin' and Stacy, powered through the Alaska Airlines studios on Seattle Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Taking a look
1: around the NFL, I got a couple things from Super Bowl Media Day. Guys out there speaking with reporters right now, and no, not just of Super Bowl teams. Jackson Smith and Jigba was out there with a possibly revealing answer. This is when asked about former Chicago, excuse me former Seahawks and current Bears offensive coordinator Shane Waldron.
0: Bears fans are super interested about the offensive coordinator coming in, Shane Waldron. What can you tell them about who they just hired to, to uh, try to get this offense where it needs to go? Um. Uh, oh. this, is, this is live? Yeah. <laughs> We're not live. We're not live. I'm playing. Um, <laughs> uh, good luck to
1: y'all. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a great person, great offensive coordinator. I was very lucky to have him my first year. Learned a lot from him. Um, I think he's gonna. I think him and Justin will mesh well, and um, you know, adding more guys around him, uh, I think it would be great. So we'll see.
0: Do so. you do you have any advice that you give to Justin in that situation, considering that you know the coach that's coming in?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, he's gonna love Justin.
1: Um, so really, just Justin, be yourself and and go make plays for real. <laughs> that's it. Fair enough. This is from the CHGO Bears podcast, interviewing Jackson, uh, along with a few other guys, obviously talking about a former teammate from Ohio State. Um, I got to say, Bump, if someone said, tell me about so-and-so, and I heard, um, good luck to y'all, I, yeah. <laughs> I would not feel confident. Man.
2: Now, Paul Moyer and I had the opportunity to uh, interview JSN during the football season, Hawks Live, every Thursday during the season, and... Paul and I both walked away from that interview saying that is a genuine, smart, articulate young man. Mm -hmm. We believe in him. So when I hear that genuine, smart, articulate young man really hesitate to say what it seems like was really on his mind, uh, it makes me question. Now, you also got to realize he's a rookie, right? And he's coming into the situation as um, the number 20 draft pick. He probably wanted more targets. Who knows what that relationship Mm -hmm. personally could have been like, but it felt like there was something there. I don't want to speculate too much because Shane just got a job with Chicago. Yeah, It's not like Chicago's looking at the film and saying, what the heck is Shane doing? Maybe there's something personally between those two that didn't really click. Um, but, yeah, that, that long pause uh, is cause of, uh,
0: for some concern.
1: I'm going to play it one more time, just the very beginning.
0: Bears fans are super interested about the offensive coordinator coming in, Shane Waldron. What can you tell them about who they just hired to, to uh, try to get this offense where it needs to go?
1: Um, uh, oh. This is, This is live. That's not... uh, I like the the CHGO Bears podcast host. Oh. (laughs) Oh, okay. Patrick Mahomes, also out at Media Day, says he's okay being called a villain.
0: Chris Jones talked about the fact that you guys are now becoming like the villains of the NFL. There's a growing narrative out there. I know everyone prefers to be liked, but is it a role that you kind of enjoy in a way? Do you feed off of that? Um... Not necessarily. I think uh, I just like winning. If, if you win a lot and, and that causes you to be a villain, then I'm, I'm okay with it. But at the end of the day, I'm going to enjoy playing the game and try to win as much as possible.
2: Mm, they're not the villain. No. I, I think that um, if you watched the uh, the media nights over there with the Super Bowl and. Kansas City walks into the stadium and they're booed. Why? Because you're in Nevada and San Francisco is close and mm-hmm. there's a bunch of San Francisco fans out of San Diego in L.A. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're the villain. I think that uh, people get a rise out of cheering for people who have a lot of success. Like, I don't look at the Chiefs the same way I looked at the Patriots. The I don't Patriots, either. I go, I don't like them. I don't like Tom Brady. I don't like Bill Belichick. There is a certain type of arrogance that um, brought out the the sports. Hey, now I people I have no problem with those guys, right? Uh, but there's a different type of feeling. When I watch the Chiefs, I'm always like, what is he going to do next? Like, I've never found myself just flat out hating on the Chiefs like mm-hmm. that. Um, but if that puts a chip on their shoulder, then I would lean into it if I were them.
1: I feel exactly the same way where – I recognize that with the Patriots I hated them, uh, and a lot of it was out of jealousy that those fans for twenty years, more often than not, were in the playoffs. They were in Super Bowls, mm-hmm. they were in championship games, and I hated it.
0: <laughs> it's the
1: worst. <laughs> I mean they took a Super Bowl. Not took, I mean they won, but Mosa <laughs> gave them. <laughs> they but, snatched I mean, that. they snatched a Super Bowl from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Of course you're gonna hate them. Every team has been beaten by the Patriots. Of course you hate them. It's different with the Chiefs. I find Patrick Mahomes to be incredibly likable. Um and uh, and the Chiefs are a fun team to watch. They haven't been uh, winning for quite as long. I'm, I'm sure yeah. maybe ask me again in five years if they win two, three more, and, tell, and I'll let you know how I feel. But, yeah, I'm, and obviously a huge factor here, uh, if they were playing the Lions, I'd be rooting for Detroit. They're playing the 49ers. Go right. Chiefs.
2: And also, <laughs> um, I'm at a different age now than I was growing up watching the Patriots. Very good right? point. Then I look at the Chiefs and – when you get older you appreciate greatness in the moment. You're sitting back, you're going, Man, that Pat Mahomes is doing something special. That Andy Reid is doing something special. Maybe if I were was the age I was I am now back in the day, I might have appreciated more in the moment with mm-hmm. the Patriots. The Patriots appreciation is hindsight like man, we might never see that again. Yeah, so true. I think where you are in your life has something to do with Good it.
1: Good point. The four two five. We got the woolen back pedal and now the Jackson pause. <laughs> I it,
0: like that. Yeah, you know, it
1: is really interesting. Not I don't mean to speaking of wool and backpedal, backpedal to that topic. But um, I wish that I had more insight on it, and I and I don't. If I had heard something, uh, especially since Shane Waldron isn't here anymore, if I had heard something about people really not liking him, I would hint at it. Yeah. I didn't. Now, I'm not as closely connected to the team as I was when I was a reporter mm-hmm. and I was out there every day. I still know people with the team, but Shane Waldron was not one of the names that I was hearing people complain about.
2: Nah, not at all. And and also, like Shane did some good things. Jason still had like, what, 600 yards or something like that. Um, the tight ends, you got the most production out of the tight ends you've gotten in a while. It just uh, wasn't consistent enough. And this was his first stop. So the things, again, never pigeonhole somebody. The things mm-hmm. that he learned here, um, he'll take to Chicago and he'll do it with a mobile quarterback. Um, But if he's able to produce a 4,000-yard passing quarterback in Chicago, he'll do something that no one there has ever done before.
1: Would you make a trade for Justin Fields? Adam Schefter appeared on a Chicago radio station, Waddle & Sylvie, on Chicago's ESPN AM 1000, and he talked about what's on the horizon for the Bears. He says the Bears will definitely get at least a second rounder for Justin Fields. Thinks it's possible they could get a first, but importantly, starting with that second He does believe that Caleb Williams is going to be the pick at number one and pushed back at Caleb Williams, refusing to play for Chicago. So Justin Fields, according to Adam Schefter, expecting him to be on the way out. And also, according to Schefter, it may not cost a first. Would you make the move?
2: Um, If I'm the Bears, yeah. If you're going to get Caleb Williams. What
1: if you're Seattle?
2: If I'm Seattle, make the moves for Justin Fields? Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know. I believe in Geno, man. I think he's good for the next two, maybe three years. I think with Justin Fields, eventually you're going to have to pay him. Now, if you're, if you're able to pay him not like a top-tier quarterback, maybe around $35, $40 million a year, uh, that's just what they're going for once they reach their second contract and, uh, and they're mediocre. You're still going to go for about that much. Then all right, but – Man, if he were to take off and now you got to pay somebody $50 million a year, what does that do to the rest of your roster? And that's why I look at Geno and people are like, you're paying Geno too much. I go $30 million for an above average quarterback is uh, is a steal in my opinion. So, um, nah, I don't think I'd do it. i, I rock with Geno and draft a quarterback.
1: Someone said drop the names people were complaining about. But here's the thing. Uh, when you look back through people's text messages, you can see if they said mean things about you.
0: (laughs) I don't think this person has,
1: but every time I see someone that requests something, when they're like, what, I always kind of search back. back. I go back a little bit to be like, let me see. Did you call me an idiot? Mm, I don't know if I'm going to tell you. I don't think this person did, but um, all right, let's see. Uh, You know what? I'm going to hit pause on the rest of our stories. There are more Super Bowl stories, so we can get back to those tomorrow. Uh, All right, well, speaking of the Super Bowl, Who always wins MVP at the Super Bowl?
2: It's the QB. Always
1: the QB, even if it's not a deserving award. I think that Patrick Mahomes would say there's an MVP award that he got in 2019 that maybe wasn't entirely deserved, although you can absolutely make the case that it was. Um, We've seen non-quarterbacks win Super Bowls. Malcolm Smith with the Super Bowl MVP of the Seahawks Super Bowl win in Mm -hmm. Super Bowl 48. The non-quarterback Super Bowl MVP candidates for this weekend coming up next.
0: Bumpin' Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost.
2: Hey, you're uh, you're like my kids when they have a lot of sugar right now.
0: Yeah. That I
1: had shot four, you, four huh? shots of espresso. Woo! And I drank most of this. Well, no, I guess from 10 to about two and a half hours it took me to drink it. Yeah. So maybe I'm just, maybe it it's this. a placebo effect. I'm just <laughs> bleep, 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 bleep. sorry to everyone listening. Please come back. Please don't. Please don't change this. I'm so sorry. I'm going (laughs) to stop. There have been some non-quarterbacks who have been Super Bowl MVP Um, of the last ten years. Two have gone to wide receivers. Two have gone to linebackers. Mm -hmm. Um, But quarterback has won in the other six years. Unsurprisingly, quarterback, it's the most important position in football. It gets all the attention, sometimes all the blame, uh, and also most of the MVP awards, but there is a chance. And so our question, uh, Bump, I'm going to throw to you for most of this, but I'll read you the odds. Which non-quarterback players have the best chances of bringing home the award on Sunday? So... We can do this one of two ways. You can tell me who you think, and I can tell you if they have the second, third, fourth longest odds, or I can oh, tell you, you the, the odds. All got the odds in front of you. I got you? the odds, or no, I can tell I you tell ahead you. of time. Now I want to okay. tell
2: you, and you tell me the odds.
1: Okay, so you tell me your picks.
2: All right. First, let me let me say that there have been three fullbacks to get this award. Full backs that will never happen in football. Was it history. In like 19- Ever again. Got yeah, Larry Zonka in seventy-three, Franco Harris in seventy-four, Aww. and John Riggins in nineteen eighty-two. So like there's it. some there's some history for you. Okay. But all right. First one is Chris McCaffrey. He's got to be the highest odds to get the MVP. All right, we talk about running backs getting the deal. When's the last time an RB got this this thing? Let it me should see. have been Let
1: 2019, but it see. wasn't.
2: I got to go all the way down to, to 1997. throw Davis got it. With the, uh, the Denver Broncos. But you look at Chris McCaffrey, he's more than just a running back. Yes, he's a running back. He's a slot receiver. He's a decoy. He gets eyes on him at all times. He can influence the game, I think, more uh, than anyone else that's not a quarterback just because of his position and how the defense has to respond. But, yeah, easily, Chris McCaffrey's got to be number one on that list.
1: So he, of non-quarterbacks, of non-quarterbacks. Okay, so number one odds, Patrick Mahomes. Number two, Brock Purdy. I'm taking them off. So, the number three overall odds, number one for a non quarterback is Christian McCaffrey. Okay, okay. Of course. I mean, when you look at like what's the single biggest reason the 49ers are where we are, or me, where we are, where they are, you might say like, <laughs> oh, they're there because of Kyle Shanahan and his ability to get the most out of these weapons, blah, blah, blah. Christian McCaffrey would be up there in people's top three reasons.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, when Christian McCaffrey joined the 49ers, they were already a good football team. They became a great football team. I bet you I know who number two is.
1: Do you want to guess before? Yeah, I'm
2: going to guess. Travis Kelsey. Yes, it's
1: Travis Kelsey. Got to be Travis
2: Kelsey. Um, The greatest postseason tight end in NFL history. Mm -hmm. Has the most receiving touchdowns. Has the most receptions. More than Jerry Rice. So Not only is he the best receiving tight end in the game, he's the best receiver of the football. Pass catcher. uh, More commonly um, referred to in postseason history. And if you watch my man, like, you look at Travis Kelsey, look at George Kittle. If I'm going to pick the more athletic tight end, I'm going to go with George Kittle. But just the guy who fills the game, understands the game, and shows up in big-time moments, you got to go with Travis Kelsey, man. He's turned it on during this Mm offseason. During the season, he struggled a bit. We call a 900-yard season for Travis Kelsey a down year. That's how good this dude is. So, Um, yeah, that's easy number two.
1: There is – worth noting a jump between Christian McCaffrey at plus 450 and then plus thirteen plus 1,300 for Travis Kelsey. I think the reason uh, that you see such a huge jump when it comes to pass catchers is, hey, Travis Kelsey has four touchdowns. Amazing. Patrick Mahomes threw four touchdowns. Right. So that's when it automatically kind of you look back at the quarterback. But um, there is another running back listed. Uh, who else do you have as a candidate for non-quarterback MVP of the Super Bowl?
2: So I got one and two. If I get three, then... Um Oh, no. I don't
1: know. Ca- I think you can.
2: You think I can? I think you can. All right, uh, number three. I'm going to go with Debo Samuel. Correct. Right? Yep. You got to go with the guys who touch the football the most, and Debo can do it in various ways. We saw him line up as a running back. He'll play the slide. He'll go outside. He also returned kicks. Imagine Debo Samuel returning a kick for a touchdown, having a rushing touchdown, and a receiving touchdown. I'm here to see it because I love me some history, and I respect Debo and his game. Uh, Debo's a special type of dude, man. He's not even a a real position. He's just an athlete out there. Look at his body. His body don't look like any other receiver out there there. His body don't look like any other running back back there out there. He does this thing. I saw something on ESPN this morning where um, I think it was Woody who said he predicts that Debo Samuel throws a touchdown. He has thrown a touchdown before. So imagine this will be the greatest game ever played. Kick, return, touchdown, rushing, touchdown, receiving, touchdown, passing, touchdown. Let's make that happen.
1: Tell me what you think of this. I'm going to skip a couple. Um, but uh, last MVPs in order leading back to Super Bowl 50. Quarterback, wide receiver, quarterback, quarterback, wide receiver, quarterback, quarterback. You got to go all the way to 2016 Super Bowl 50 when, of course, you can guess Von Miller, Mm -hmm. linebacker for the Denver Broncos. The best odds of any defensive player. Do you want to guess before I tell you? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It's Fred Warner. No, 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 no. It is Chris Jones.
1: It's Nick Bosa. Oh, snap. Okay. You know what? I'm going to give it to you because they actually are tied. Nick Bosa is listed ahead of him, but Uh they do have the same odds. Who? Uh, Nick Bosa and Chris Jones. Okay. What kind of game would those guys need?
2: Nick Bosa would need three sacks in crucial moments, right? If he has... Well, you can have three sacks regardless. But if you have three sacks early and then um, Brock Purdy goes off or someone else goes off or Pat Mahomes, whoever, then it's not going to work out. But if you have three sacks and you got one early, one mid, one late, and some TFLs and just some big hits and you are making Pat Mahomes uncomfortable in the pocket and forcing him outside, um, he can win that thing. But I think it starts with sacks and TFLs. If he has three sacks, three and a half sacks, and let's say four TFLs, it's a lock.
1: All right, I will say, and rushing yards allowed per game, Kansas City was not nearly as efficient as they were defensively in other categories with 113. Uh, This is to date through the season, so um, obviously that's been impacted uh, by the playoffs. Maybe they were a little bit better with just regular season numbers, but we both like Christian McCaffrey as the best non-quarterback candidate. Mm -hmm. Last minute and a half here, though, Bump, the two top choices, odds-wise, to be Super Bowl MVP are unsurprisingly both quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. So our question for you what does the winning quarterback have to do to not win the award? To
2: not win the award. Kind the of a weirdly phrased question, but Yeah, you got to turn the football over. Yeah. About two interceptions. You, you turn the ball over two times, um I think unless you have four touchdowns to uh to counter that, you turn it over twice and you're automatically eliminated and then that makes room for a defensive guy or um, yeah. maybe a, a skill guy who catches or yeah. runs the route. It
1: would need to be your team wins in spite of you. Yeah. Like more interceptions mm-hmm. than touchdowns, no game-winning drive, no anything. Someone said, what about for a kicker to win? You'd have to have a touchdown-less Super Bowl. Yeah. I think it would need like mm-hmm. – you'd need like seven field goals – Yep including like a 50-plus yarder in there.
2: And there's only one field goal kicker that I would trust to do that right now, and he ain't playing
1: in this game. Exactly. He almost did. Almost. He almost did. All right, we are going to talk about – we're getting back to college ball, talk about recruiting, talk about some new incoming talent for Washington with 24-7 Sports. Brandon Huffman, he joins us next.